Eleanor without a bar. Welcome to 3 PNR. I'm your host, Adamar. Joining me for this episode is Bill Konkoleski, MUFON member and experiencer. Bill, how you doing, sir? Great, Adam. Thanks for having me on. Good. Glad to have you on. Glad to have your time. Uh, we're going to begin this. This is part of the abduction series. Uh, it's more focused on people of contact over experience. And uh, you yourself are an experiencer. So let's begin with when, when did this begin for you? Well, I always like to say that the uh, UFO phenomena took an interest in me before I took an interest in it. I was actually only two years old. Uh, Nearly 50 years ago, I was in my room. I was still in a crib at the time, Um, two years old in a crib, late at night, not yet asleep. And a little gray guy came, walked into the room, Um, big black wraparound eyes stared down at me over the edge of the crib. I screamed for my parents. My mother told me to go back to sleep. I was not asleep. And um, after a couple moments, the thing seemed disinterested and walked out of the room. And I assumed towards my older brother's room, but um, I I can't get any uh, corroboration on that. It's just something that stayed with me my whole life. It wasn't like a memory I several years later thought, oh yeah, I think I remember this happened. Now it burned into my memory the very moment it happened and I never forgot it. And of course, as a two-year-old in the early seventies, there was no context. You didn't see little aliens everywhere like you do today. It was, it was certainly something that I had never seen before and took probably into my teens before I saw uh, Streber's book Communion, that I saw something that looked like what I had seen. Right. You, it's, you know, I hear from a lot of people, too, in uh, childhood, perfe- things that have profound effects on you do burn into your memory, uh, subconsciously and consciously. Uh, through regression, a lot of people recall traumatic experiences from childhood. So mm-hmm. in your case, where you have something that's, you know, when you're a child, you identify with your parents because uh, we remember their face. It's a, uh, we imprint on them. And when you have a new face in a room, a certainly one that's not familiar to what humans know, will have beyond a profound effect on you. It, it, it would definitely attach to your psyche long term. Mm-hmm. And I did um, eventually uh, more, well, it was 93 Uh, A little over 20 years after, uh, I did actually have a regression session about that event and many of the other events that had happened to me. But when I was regressed about that, it was from Shirley Coyne, the state director of Michigan MUFON at the time. And she brought me back to that moment. And I found it uh, uh, perplexing because I have four older brothers and we lived in a tri-level house. But I couldn't understand why one of my brothers, any of my brothers, wasn't in the room with me because we didn't have that much space. So I, I, I remember all my childhood, the brothers being packed in together. But for some reason, I couldn't see another brother, couldn't even see another bed in that room. And then the other thing that was perplexing to me was I remembered my crib having bars all the way around it. And for some reason, when this thing was at the foot of my crib, 
while I was being regressed, instead of bars at the foot of my crib, I saw a solid board and I couldn't make that solid board go away. I couldn't make it, I couldn't fix it and and make it into the bars that I, I had remembered. So after the regression, I brought this up to Shirley and I said, well, you know, it, it, it felt like I was really back there in that place in that time, but I, I've got these two issues. And she said, well, you know, maybe they had taken my brother and um, I, I didn't want to uh, remember that. And maybe um, the being had maybe something in his hand or something about it that made me not want to see its body, only its head. And that's why I transformed the bars into a solid board. And neither of those sound really like a strong theories to me. And she was only suggesting them. She, this, we, I was back awake at the time and she was just speculating. She wasn't trying to make me remember things that were not correct. But when I went home, I was still living at home at the time. And I, I told my, my folks, my mom said to me, well, you know, um, none of your brothers would share a room with you at that time because uh, as a as a toddler, you would always wake up screaming in the middle of the night. I don't think it was anything UFO or alien related. At least I hope not. I don't remember if it was, but, you know, you're a little kid, you wake up, you scream. And so all of my brothers were all too happy sleeping three in a room rather than one of them having to share the room with me. I'm like, okay, so there's that settled well, what about the crib? And she goes, oh, yeah. She goes, uh, the, the crib did actually have a flat board at the end of it. We still have it. It's in the attic. Huh. So, af- so a- after dinner, I went up in the attic and looked, and there was still the crib. Um, and I don't know why they kept it, but um, it was up there. And sure enough, it had a flat board. So what that showed me was that when I was regressed, I remembered things correctly right i couldn't even i couldn't even change these memories my memory you know when i went back into that space my memory insisted on being correct like the the truth insisted on being correct and i couldn't change it so that was my very first regression session and after that i took great stock that when i recalled something that i thought was strange like, well, maybe that really did happen that way because uh thinking back to that crib memory um, yeah, I, I remember things correctly, whether I wanted to or not. Yeah. Keep in mind, um, a couple things. One with memories, some people like you and I right now, if we want to, we're friends, we're talking about a, uh, a time from childhood, a good one. We're going to, we're going to try to reconstruct that because the images in our head are based on data. We're feeding to our own mind to reconstruct an image where your subconscious So in regression, they're going to the source of the data, which is probably getting better data than what you would do trying to remember, you know, consciously, subconsciously, the data is stored. And in regression, it's going right to that source. Thing two with your brothers. Now you're talking about something sophisticated enough to remove people from their homes. There's a strong chance that they could sedate the entire house and remove you undetected. Um, And even, and I've heard, I've been reading more about this. So your room setting, bear in mind, you're, you're an infant. They could potentially reconstruct your room wherever they want to keep you, you know, keep you mentally uh, pleased, right? Um, mm-hmm. 
So the more I'm studying this, the more I'm realizing that, and this isn't, when people say this is crazy, humans do this all the time. We construct environments for animals when we abduct them for study. Uh, when we even have people for, for us, uh, in, that are in mental health, they reconstruct their, their surroundings to the, what makes them comfortable, right? Something recognizable to keep their faculties level. So in your case, in regression, like I said, they, they went straight to the data. And that's why you're able to recall things uh, through regression that you can't sit down and think about. Because again, when you're trying to reconstruct the memory in your mind, when you're physically, when you're consciously trying to do it, it the data may or may not be accurate because you're just, you know, you're trying to reconstruct it. So in mm-hmm. your life, how often is this happening in your life that you're having visitation? Uh, <clears throat> following age two, my next remembered memory is age four. All three little gray guys came in my room, um, age seven, uh, I was taken aboard and given a scar that I still have age nine and 10. I had a, a being at the foot of my bed and then also saw my first UFO and then the teen years, so many experiences more, more than I could count. Uh, they tapered off into my twenties and at about 30, they paused for the most part and it's not to say that they stopped completely but the the real serious um, activity was up until about age 30 and then like I said things have happened since then but that was those were the big years so what from those events what what comes to you clearly that you could recall now like details of uh, things that you would might so in other words when someone else listens to this and they're they're an experiencer uh, because I'm under the I'm under the impression not everyone's taken for the same reason, right? Uh, and we see this, in, and again, to relate this to human science, every subject is different depending on the, whether the DNA or uh, some people are smarter. We're going to use them for an experiment for this. Some people are more resilient to disease and sickness. Let's do a study on them. We do this as humans. So for you, um, your purpose in being uh, a subject to them differs from others but in uh, the reason i ask is to go into uh, detail of what you could recall is so that when someone hears this they probably fall into the same category as you and it's going to stand out to them oh uh, i i don't know if you're asking me to go into one of my particular accounts in depth uh, that's something i could do i guess yeah yeah just um, you know things that you remember things that you could feel taste um what stands out to you the most through all the years so many so many encounters Okay, I'll jump to this one. And and, and if I can just throw in a, a plug right now, I have two books uh, about my experiences that I put out. Pretty much, pretty much everything that I'll be talking about tonight is probably in one of those two books. Perfect. Um, ex- experiencer and Experiencer 2. Um, they're found anywhere you find books, pretty much. But, I'll, I'll put links to them in the description as well, so people could find it directly from here. Okay, thank you. Uh, one that really stands out happened uh, in 1995. I started to date this girl, and we were only going out a couple months. And there's a there's a part about this phenomenon that is is obviously tricky. If you lead on a first date, <laughs> that you're taken aboard UFOs by by little beings that relationship might not last very long but if you if you wait long enough 
and not tell that other person, there's a good chance that they are going to unwittingly be present when you have an experience. And and at that point, you have not given them any sort of um, warning or foundation for what they may experience. And so you got to find that sweet spot. Um, they just long enough so they know you're not uh, a nut job and then cautiously unpack some of the information and go from there and hope that if anything ever happens, they don't feel like you withheld it. So, um, unfortunately, this story falls under that category, and I didn't tell the girl soon enough. So we were dating a couple months, and we were at a park here in Michigan, a uh, fairly large place, hiking. Uh, we decided to stay and found this nice hill to watch the sun go down. And after we watched the sunset, uh, all the stars were out. We decided to, decided to do some stargazing. Uh, and we were laying in a blanket up on top of this hill, fairly secluded, when all the noises from the woods, all the branches dropping, um, the frogs, any any noise that was around us at all, that little bit of noise just suddenly stopped. And we heard footsteps, very human sounding in their cadence. Um, coming up the side of the hill. So we scurried up and walked to the center of the hill to await whoever it was coming up, but nobody came up. So we were standing up and I, and she says, uh, Oh, look, it's the big dipper. And I said, well, actually that's the little dipper. Um, I took this astronomy class at college at recently it was super early. I took great notes. And then we started talking about, um, the prices of textbooks, college textbooks. And then after a while, when it seemed like nobody was coming up the hill, we went and we laid back down again on the blanket. And after several moments, minutes, I'm not sure really how much time passed, probably several minutes, um, we heard footsteps again. Uh, we heard the, the everything go quiet and footsteps again coming up the hill. I'm going to throw an extra curveball in at this moment in that I didn't remember that happening just previously, nor apparently did she. So this was something new to us. Oh, somebody coming up the hill for the first time, even though it had just happened. So I'll try to explain this in a way where it doesn't get too confusing. Sure. So we go, so we go back to the center of the hill and she says, oh, look, it's the Big Dipper. I say Little Dipper, astronomy class, price of textbooks, and then we go and lay back down on the blanket. We're there several minutes, and then we hear the footsteps, the, the forest go quiet, footsteps coming back up the hill. We go to the center of the hill, and I'm having this really strong feeling of deja vu. And then she says, "Is look, it's the Big Dipper, and then it hit me. I'm like, We've been reliving this moment again and again. This is at least the third time we've done this. And I'm like, and like all of a sudden, you know, all the red flags went up and I was just terrified. Like, oh my gosh, we have to get out of here right now. And right when I was thinking that we both froze in place, she and I just about a foot away from each other, looking at each other. And 
although we couldn't move, I could certainly read fear on her face. And when uh, three little gray guys came up the hill and started inspecting her, they didn't seem to be interested in me at all. I recognized the beings from previous encounters, but they mostly ignored me and they were just looking at her and they were looking her up and down and saying to each other, Oh no, she's not any good. No, she's not the one for him. No, no. Somebody's, you know, somebody else, not this one. And then they walked down the hill and then suddenly we could move again. And we grabbed our stuff, ran for the car, uh, quite a distance and hopped in the car and we were almost back to her place when she said she didn't want to go home just yet. So we walked into Meyer Thrifty Acres, big box store like Walmart, if anyone's not maybe not familiar with Meyer. And we walked up and down the aisles doing things like touching brooms and reading the backs of CD cases and just grounding ourselves that way. And then... Um, we sat and, and at the time they had a pet department and the hamsters were up. So we sat and watched the hamsters for a little bit. And then she said she, she could go home. And then I dropped her off and um, we didn't speak at all the next day. And two days later, she called and broke up. And while I didn't tell her that what had happened to us had anything to do with me, it was pretty clear she knew it had everything to do with me. A couple things to that. One, when you're in the store looking at things, it sounds to me like your computer's trying to reboot, right? Because hmm. humans do that. Um, when we're when we're faced with something that's traumatic, uh, even if it's small injury, we find ourselves doing things to kind of replace the traumatic memory. Two, you're the subject, and just as you said, when they're look, they're reviewing her, like I don't know, she's good. Uh, in that time loop, it, it appears to me that they were waiting to see an outcome which is why they kept like uh, putting you through the loop to see if perhaps maybe something would change in dialect or, or, or chemistry. Um, again, this, everything you're telling me sounds like uh, social experiments that humans do. So some imagine something with a sophisticated technology that could make it happen in real time again and again and again without waiting days. Um, it's impressive. So in that scenario, when you're hearing them speak, are you hearing them in your head or are they speaking? Yes. Okay. Telepathically. Yeah. Yeah. I was just feeling their, their, um, agreed upon, uh, disapproval. Yeah. None of the, none of the three, uh, thought she was, uh, so like uh, you, like a lot of other people I'm starting, and this is what I suspect that you have a, uh, different software uploaded to your computer, your brain, uh, I, I believe this to be true for psychics. I believe this to be true with people in the paranormal realm. Uh, it just seems that some people have a download. It's very possible that more people that see UFOs that stand directly next to another person who doesn't is because they have the ability to perceive it. And we don't. Uh, we lack the software. Um, so in in that case, you're the you're the subject of study. And they looped you to find out that they, they maybe there could be smaller differences or, I mean, for comparisons. So bear in mind. Now, here's the other question. Anyone in your family previous to you had experience? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, it runs on my mom's side of the family, for one thing. Um, several cousins in particular have had unusual things. And among my four 
older brothers. Uh, there's five kids in the family, no sisters, all brothers. I'm the youngest. And the two oldest brothers, um, between them, I mean, the three of us could go toe to toe in a, in a, in a contest of, uh, unusual paranormal, uh, experiences. And then the next two brothers after that, between them, zero, hmm. not a single thing. And that is as unusual to me as the, the stories that my older brothers tell, why would it skip to members of the family? Um, I have no idea, but yeah, there's let's view it this way. Why do autoimmune diseases skip generations and individuals, right? So something Mm -hmm. in your genealogy is attractive to them somewhere Mm -hmm. near in your lineage, somewhere in your, in your family hereditary uh, background, they're tracing something, keeping in mind. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 this is a theory I'm working on. Um, if they're going to do a hybrid program for planet earth, like we, we would want to do for another planet, this doesn't happen in a generation. You're talking millennia before you could even get close to getting a genetic program that works well in a perfect blend. So mm-hmm. perhaps maybe you and several other people that have been selected, something in your genealogy speaks to them. And so they're going to try. So now you have a life partner. Why? Well, she's not good enough for him. Well, maybe they didn't like something in the genealogy, right? They're like, this isn't going to work because the next generation might have this hereditary gene that isn't going to work for our program that of study. I mean, that's one possibility. Um, mm-hmm. cause I'm finding a lot of people, I find this to be hereditary in a lot of people. Uh, I'd spoken to some former military, uh, former cops that, you know, they don't want to come on the show and so, for obvious reasons, but I I'm finding a pattern and just like a, like an autoimmune disease, it, this certain genealogy skips generations and individuals. So, uh, my mom, for existence, uh, example, she has lupus, but no one in her background other than some distant relatives down her family tree have the same kind of autoimmune disease. They just didn't have a name for it then. Uh, but no one in my immediate family has had it. None of the, the generations below her, her grandchildren are showing any kind of, um, RNA or anything that's going to link to it. So you might have something that's interesting to them and your children, your children's children might have that. And that study will move forward until they feel that, well, now we have what we need for this program. And let's see if we can start blending this DNA to see if we could better suit ourselves for planet earth. I mean, it's one very big possibility. This is exactly the way humans view Mars and other planets. Uh, We're looking at a planet that's not too far from us. That's in that Goldilocks zone and it would have an atmosphere. It's just larger than us and the gravity would be greater. So we'd have to alter the way we evolve, but we have to do it faster because we don't have the the luxury of time to go there and just evolve naturally. That's a millions, millions of years, you know? So yeah, it's not unlikely that you're part of a program that they're tracing. You know, has that ever occurred to you? Yeah. You know, I certainly over the years, I've turned this every which way. And it's one of those things that the more you learn, the less you seem to know. And the the whole phenomena is like trying to keep a handful of sand. It just slips through your fingers. Um, Any theory that sounds um, valid, um, it's you explore a, a radically different viewpoint of what's going on, and that also seems to be valid. And there there's very little that anybody knows one of the things that um yeah i i i find amusing is that 
we don't know where they're from. We don't know when they're from. We don't know anything about their culture. We don't really understand their propulsion. We don't understand why they're interested in us. And try to pin down a proper name on any of these things that are visiting us. Sometimes you'll have somebody like Betty Andreas and say, oh, the being that you know came to me was Quasga, <laughs> something like that. Right. But it, it, it's it's very rare. We don't have anything firm to, 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 to really pin down and say, okay, as a starting point, we know they're from this planet. Or from a starting point, we know they're from another dimension. We did, there's there's nothing really to hold on to, and and as somebody that has lived through this his entire life, you know, for somebody who's who who's just barely interested in the topic, they're probably like, well, that'd be nice if we knew something. But if you're living it and you don't know it, the the best you can do is is be comfortable with a mystery, right. just to to embrace the mystery and say. I don't know. They're not telling and they probably are not going to tell. And anybody else that I've ever met doesn't really seem to to know any more than, than anybody else. And you just really sort of um, network with other people who've had these types of experiences where you can share the good and bad moments and the wonder and the fear and everything like that. And that's really Really, the best that anybody seems to be able to do in this space. Um, sure. And, you know, the other thing, too, is I, I always say this to people. I hear people very often say, oh, that's, abduction sounds crazy. Why would they do this? Well, we abduct animals all the time for study, long term, uh, not short term, long term. Um, we observe animals in the wild as in their natural environment to study them, Right. Uh, we're mm -hmm. a more sophisticated animals, so we're very interesting to them. Would they tell us why? No, we're we're still racist. We still have we still have politics and we still have religions that divide us. There's no shot they're gonna ever express. Well, here, this is what we're doing. We we could barely contain ourselves with just the small ideologies that exist here now. It's impossible. Um, that being said. For a lot of people, there's a lot, there's a variety of people out there that, uh, that are experiencers and some people to them, it's Tuesday and there's nothing to talk about. You know, it's, it's not going to change the outcome of what's going on. Some other people, and I find this more example than alpha people, people of authority who don't like surrendering their, their, uh, their freedoms. They want to be in charge. They have the bigger pushback. They're the ones that you hear screaming in a regression session because they just can't handle the idea that something had control. Then there's the other group of people say, oh, they're here, they love us. And well, here's the reality to that. When you go to the doctor's office and you're a kid, that nurse and doctor have to acclimate to you, whether it's like, we love you or, and if they recognize that you're smart to understand what's going on, then they speak to you in a more uh, a, a way that suits you where you can understand it. Or if you're giving pushback, what happens when you give pushback in a doctor's office and you need your shots? They got to hold you down, but you need your shots. At the end of the day, they're just going to acclimate to what our needs are. So for Bill... If Bill's okay with it, well, we don't have to really sugarcoat this. We could just come and go. Bill, it's it's Thursday for Bill. He's not going to freak out. For the guy who's very sensitive, we got to, well, we were here because we care. They're just acclimating to the person. At the end of the day, we're still a study. We're still an observation. There's still research to be done. And it's not going to happen soon. It's going to take, uh, there's another person I've spoken. He's like, well, it's been thousands of years. Why not yet? 
it, do you do you understand what they're trying to do? If they are trying to integrate and become something that could live here, both symbiotic with us or, or otherwise, that program's long. That's not going to happen anytime soon. So them to be here and doing what they're doing, whether it be traveling to Vastus or somewhere or portals, if they have that technology, they did it as a species and they don't have separation amongst one another. They're, they're doing it one-minded, uh, however it may be. In your experience with them, uh, and you know, I'm sure we spoke a year ago uh, in podcast, and I, I kind of gave you my theory on what I think the smaller grades are, that being uh, biological robots with the consciousness uploaded, and the taller grades, I think, are the biological ones. A lot of people see the taller ones in what seems to be like a hologram, which would make sense if they can't breathe our air, right? Uh, it would, it, especially with sophisticated technology, uh, it would appear like they're in a room for you. Uh, it's it, it, we would not be able to discern the difference with a higher technology. We're doing that now. Tupac Shakur, a rapper, did a concert as a hologram long after his death, and it was pretty compelling. And that's just the best we could do then. So the the point I make is, for for people who observe these things or are involved with it, uh, perception and time to think, powerful stuff. You have to really absorb what happened, and don't look at it as an attack. Because they didn't kill you at the end of the day, right? Clearly, they're there for purpose. What that is, that's that's the desired information. So for you, when you're close to them, the the grays, uh, are you getting a biological feeling, or are they starting, to, or they feel more cold and robotic? Okay, I, I definitely have a a theory on that. Um, but to just touch on something you had said earlier about us and our relationship to other animals, I mean, our whole history of sharing this planet with the other species that live on it has been to either capture them or kill them or both. Right. That's all we do. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so to think, you know, um, you know, uh, that, you know, to question, Oh, why would they, why would they come here? Well, I mean, if we saw animals on another planet, we would go there and, and do the same that we do here. Right. <clears throat> But my my theory is this, is that they're at least probably, it's hard to to put, quantify this in terms of just years, but they're probably, um, relatively speaking, at least hundreds of years ahead of us technologically, probably thousands, sure, maybe even millions. Well, Bill, Bill, think about this for a second. Um, if you look at the ancient Greeks technology and, and the inventions they were making pretty remarkable stuff. Uh, it wasn't until, you know, Rome moved in with Catholicism did that the breaks get put on that because it's against God to, you know, certain things you can't notice knowledge or whatever nonsense religion conjured up to stop it. But we're 2000 years behind the ball on technology. So take our technology we have right now, Bill, and add mm-hmm. 2000 years to it. Imagine what we have. Yeah, just imagine the dark ages never happened, and where would we be? Yeah. Right. So, so what I think is that they have evolved. They and and it, it, it's such a hard thing to say because well, there's the reptilians and the these greys and the Nordics and whatever. But the greys, I'm going to speak specifically to the the, the species that I've seen. Um, the little gray is about three feet tall. The taller gray is about five feet tall and mantis is about seven feet tall. My thinking is that they are so far advanced that at some point in their evolution, um, 
in the area of trying to live longer, healthier lives, they figured out that, hey, they could, hey, it's possible to take consciousness, pop it out of one bioform and stick it in another. That they evolved so far that they could actually transfer consciousness from one physical being to another physical form and, and, and live in that other physical form and hence uh, achieve immortality. And then in this form that they, they go into, then it becomes like a vehicle to them, like a car. And they exist primarily, they identify primarily with their own consciousness. They exist in a state of pure consciousness, but uh, and don't need a physical form. But when they want to interact with other beings who are very physical-based, like us, they can pop into a physical form and relate to us that way. They can meet with us. They can abduct us. They can experiment on us uh, using these bodies, these drones that they they move around. And yes, I think that the five-foot-tall ones seem to be more with it than the little ones. But... That could just be uh, the amount of consciousness that is allowed to be throttled through that form to better relate to us, um, where the drones are just doing enough to achieve simple tasks, but uh, the taller one is allowed a little bit higher bandwidth of consciousness to be able to interact with us on a higher level. And with that being the case... The big issue that they have with us the is that they can't figure out why we're so attached to our vehicles, why we're so attached to our bodies. When they come and they take us, they're probably thinking, man, why is this person so upset that we're taking their car, you know, their vehicle? It's not their vehicle we want. It's the consciousness inside that we want to commune with and sure we need to tweak their vehicle like bringing it into the shop so it performs whatever they want but they they're not attached to their bodies they don't really see bodies as anything except uh, something they take a a a quick spin in when when they need to do something physical it's a tool to them it's an extension i have to agree with you have it we have it so backwards we are so connected to our physical form it is so ingrained in who we are that we absolutely freak when we when we see them. We are coming from two very opposite ends on the spectrum. They are consciousness driving bodies, and we are our body to ourselves. Yeah, you're, and, you're talking about a society yeah. of people who judge one another based on the name brand of shirt or shoe you wear. It's very important to us if we have how many Instagram, Facebook, and, and other social media are predicated around, like, I just got these Nikes, you know? I'm guilty of it. I'm a Nike person. I'm very guilty of that. So, and I'm very nostalgic. So, you're right. And some people hear what you say, and they might say, this guy's crazy. But here's the reality. Right now, in our country, in other countries, that very study's taking place. We are mapping the brain with the intention of removing our consciousness and put and uploading it to other bodies, whether it be a robot for a NASA study on another planet, whether it be for 
another robot that wants to go to the bottom of the ocean to do studies. It's going to replace cameras to send consciousness that can take real-time information. This is real. Um, and I, you know, part of the idea of the little gray guys being uh, biological robots to me, the, the avatar system. Because, and I said this in other podcasts, but the reptilians and all these different um, uh, species come here and the, the grays are like, listen, we have these little gray guys. They're, they're proven to work well in the field. You could rent them out. You want to do a study on this individual down here on earth? This is the accepted view of us right now. So you could rent these and go down there and do whatever study and they're proven to get their job done. Right. Cause that, that if you think about it, that's what I would do, that's what humans would do in a heartbeat. We're going to Mars and we have, um, bipedal robots that are capable of going there and doing study. Well, let's say NASA owns it and another group, uh, space agency from Europe wants to like, well, we want in on this, well, we'll rent them to you. Here's our, our bipedal robot. It's very functional. It gets its job done. And all you have to do is send your consciousness to it and, and upload and you can do your, your, your study up there. This is not, so it's not crazy to say this because this is the way we're thinking now. Our technology is just getting to the point of where we're going to do that. And their technology far exceeds that. They've been doing it for quite a while. So that's why for me, I ask a lot of people, the little gray guys, what do they appear like to you? And so you're right. The, the larger ones could have expressions and they, their, their, their face, from when I read, their faces are more expressive. So you kind of have an idea where they stand, where the little guys plain. Like, like sense, like the eyes, I personally think the, the eyes are sensors because they look at you very mechanically like they're scan, scanning you. Uh, Whitley Strieber's book, when I first, when I first came across communion, by the way, when I was a kid, remember the movie with, um, um, Christopher Walken? Yeah. Yeah. That scared the shit out of me when I was a kid mm. <laughs> and not even that the aliens. awful. <laughs> yeah. Not even, not even the aliens scared me. Christopher Walken scared me. And I'm a kid when I saw this, you know, <laughs> so oh, but it, yeah, so that's, it's the things you're saying, they're not far off. It sounds, when you compare it to what we're, what we have on blueprints right now in our current technology, it's not far off because it's exactly what we're going to do one day, Bill. Bill, one day we're going to be able to find another planet. There will be primitive life there. They will perhaps be in their stone age. And we're going to say, wow, let's watch this evolve and see how it works out. Because it's, if as by that point, we're uploading our consciousness to a, a, a source, a ship that's traveling through space. We don't need our physical body. So for us to observe another race and see how they uh, evolve and see it for study, you know, for parallel anyway, we're going to be doing exactly what our, what our, what our observers are doing right now, undoubtedly. Mm-hmm. So what, what are you, I'm reading this now. Yeah, there's four institutes here in America. I don't, I'm not going to say their names. So I don't have their permission. That Their purpose is to scan the brain for upload and download of consciousness. And they plan to achieve this by 2042. That's around the corner. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So at the, you've had years to think about it. Uh, plenty of time to sit down and conjure it. What do you think their purpose with you, if you had to guess? What, what, why are they visiting you? Well, first, um, I, I think something that I, I've discovered more and more a, as I've delved into this, yeah, uh, when I joined MUFON back in 93, it was to um, look into my own events and hopefully meet others who'd had other similar accounts. And yes, I've met hundreds of other people. And when it when I realized just the scope of how many people are being taken, just the ones I was able to meet here in the Midwest 
um, for the most part. I, I realize um, it, some people think, you know, it, to phrase the question, what makes you so special? I don't know if that's really the way to put it. When so many people are being taken, a large, very large group of people are being taken, have been taken, will be taken. It's not a very small number. It's a much larger number than than people think. Um, I, I can't vouch for the logistics that it would take to to do that, but I, I'm just saying that this is not completely uncommon that this is happening. And so I don't think I'm one of like 10 or 20 or even a hundred. It's probably several, many thousands of people at, at, at the minimum. But um, so when you get to that size of a population, um, is there really something special about anybody in particular in some cases, or is it just a matter of, yeah, maybe they're just going through a family line or maybe they have arbitrary control subjects, things like that. And so it becomes really tough to figure out, you know, if I thought I was the only one, sure, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, why me? Why me? Why me? But I, I don't I don't know if I necessarily really hit that too hard because I understand how many people are being taken Okay, so that being said, um, one of the things that I am blessed to be able to do is talk about my experiences. I, I um, my family is one hundred and ten percent supportive. I, I'm completely open at work. All my friends are supportive. I, I don't really have any major headwinds to speaking about what's happened to me. And most of the people I talk to, they do have something in their lives which prevents them from talking about it. And because of that, I feel um, compelled to 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 do that. And I think that on some level, the beings appreciate being part of the conversation. I don't think that they're ready to openly show themselves. Well, of course, because they could any day now, right? And they could have any day for, you know, however many years going back. But I, I think that they appreciate that there is an awareness of them at least sort of in the background and that for those of us who have this type of experience they are satisfied that we're doing that and it's a preference of theirs that um, some of the people having these types of encounters keep it in conversation Um, i think for the most part that Um, If there ever should come a day where they absolutely positively have to reveal themselves, nobody's going to be completely blindsided. At the very worst, they'll say, oh, yeah, I thought those people were weirdos for talking about that. Now it's it's real. Oh, at least I know a little bit about what's going on. (laughs) So I I think I, I think if anything that I in my life that has um, earned their favor. Um, it's the fact that I, I'm able to talk about them and I do do so. I don't always have good experiences and I'll be the first to talk about all the bad experiences I've had, but I, I think they, I think they enjoy that at least some people are talking about it. Sure. And, and, and momentarily we're going to cover the negatives before that though. Um, like you said, before they ever make themselves aware to us, uh, I think 
humanity would have to be at a point where we we don't have differences, and that's going to be a long time. We 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 can't have you can't have a society of people willing to kill each other over a god. We have no evidence of, <laughs> you know, because that's happening a lot. A lot of people are at war over their belief system, and even even worse than that, uh, at the smaller scale, some people are at war over a city block. Other people are at war for popularity. So we're very, very divided at the end of the day. And I don't think a species would speak with another one if their behavior is that way. Especially, why? Imagine us giving secrets to apes. Here's, here's how to use guns and here's, here's GPS tracking systems. So imagine you give apes sophisticated weapons today's standards. They would wipe out rival platoons of apes. <laughs> it wouldn't even be a question. There would be no diplomatic uh, resolve. They would just kill each other. Imagine if, let's say they came to, let, let's, I don't want to say worst case scenario, but let's just say they went to China first. Well, here, here's our technology and here's how to be the strongest and the best and the most technologically sound advanced. You think they're going to share that with the U.S. and other countries? No, they're going to oppose it upon us in a heartbeat. That's what, that's just the nature of humanity. Uh, and as far as people coming out, like we we're talking numbers, this is small scale numbers, Bill. So to P, I do a lot of off podcast interviews. I have one page of people, just one page, not even a full page of people that have had experiences and would like to come out and talk about it. However, I have six pages of people who had experiences that will never come out and speak of it. Um, they wanted to speak privately about it. They don't go to groups. They haven't told their family. And that's just my pages. That and So six to one, as far as pages, I can't only imagine the numbers globally. It's got to be it's got to be crazy. So I don't know. I don't, I honestly, right. the numbers of people would contact way must outweigh what we think is out there because a lot of these people just don't speak of it. And then there's a lot of people that again, it's just Tuesday and there's nothing to discuss, <laughs> you know? So for you and your experiences, what, so what are some of the negative experiences and why? Um, one that always comes to mind is when I was in my teens, I was brought on board. And uh, when, when, when the beings came to me when I was young, like in my single digits, they came with the, or at least I interpreted them as, as little friends. We were friends. They were my friends. They, um, um, sort of communicated, Hey, we're friends. We're your friends. Let's play. Let's do this. And everything is fun. But when I got into my teen years, they sort of dropped that veneer of buddy, buddy and would just, uh, just pluck me and take me on board and whatever was going on. Yeah. I, I have very scattered memories of so much of it, but I resisted them. I really started to resist them clearly at that point. I don't feel like they were being straight with me. I felt like I was being used. Um, I my, made my bedroom into a, a sort of a small obstacle course huh. with junk everywhere and TV and radio, usually on or a light, you know, just anything to sort of resist, you know, them being able to sneak in easily. And I, um, and also to keep me company with, with regards to the radio and or TV and the light on. But, um, when 
that didn't work and it didn't really seem to work at all. You know, I, I was really resistant to them. You know, we were quote unquote friends when I was little, but now they're just taking me. I'm offended. I'm upset. And also I'm a teenager, right? right. So that's if you <laughs> private time. Yeah. It's when you want your privacy. And, and as a teenager, you know, you do that little spurt of rebellion. And so they, um, took me on board and they brought me in front of this being the grays did a seven foot being looked like a best description, uh, uh, a praying mantis in a cheap dungeons and dragons wizard Halloween costume. And, uh, and, and it was just mortifying. This thing was so frightening. It had such a powerful condensation of energy to it. I, I feel like, it could just make me explode just by looking at me, you know, some scanners moment or something, um, that movie. And it just, it was so frightening. And it was like telling me, just do what you're supposed to just do what you're told. If you do, you'll see the benefit of it afterwards. Stop resisting. Just go with the program. And as a teenager, cause I was 16, I think at the time, maybe 17. Um, I, felt like yeah i was being brought to the principal in effect and you know he was trying to scare me straight and then um after that i i thought about it and i i don't know that it really seriously made me uh, acquiesce to them but it, it that that mantis was the most frightening thing that i i'd ever seen it was just so powerful so menacing and um when I just a couple of years later, um, I picked up communion and um, interestingly that uh, Strieber not only said that he saw such a thing, but he also called it a mantis. So hmm. and then I heard other people referring to it as a mantis and I'm like, oh, my gosh, how interesting. Everybody calls it a mantis. So after that happened, did you give him any pushback or was it was that the authority figure that said, look, this is happening. Deal with it. Um. <sighs> Yeah, I, I like I, like I said a moment ago, I didn't really feel like I, I acquiesced to them so much after that. It was frightening, sure, and it really added a threat into the equation that I, although I was annoyed and certainly frightened any time that they would take me, but this was a clear threat scenario to me. Right. Um, and so it it affected me, but it just really just made me more uh, distasteful of what they were doing. Um, things would change shortly after, though. They started to give me a little bit of respect, and I eased up on my apprehension of them. There was a time just about a year after that experience where <clears throat> I knew they were in the backyard of the house, and I said out loud, Hey, if you're here, um, I don't want to see you, but if you call me on the phone, I'll pick up. And this was like about four in the morning, uh, three in the morning, three, four in the morning. I don't know. I, I took I took good notes on it. And whatever I said in my book is the accurate time. But the phone rang and uh, I didn't know what to do. I'm like, oh, my gosh, the phone. It's, <laughs> you know, three, four in the morning, whatever. The phone rang. And now what do I do? So 
I, I went and I picked up the phone and I got a dial tone and then I sort of felt like the energy dissipate. And the next day I was like, oh my gosh, why did I even pause to answer that phone? It took me about five minutes to go and pick it up. But um, I was kicking myself. I'm like, why didn't I just answer the phone? So about a year later, in fact, maybe even exactly a year later for all I know, I'm in the kitchen. It's the middle of the night again. And I, uh, I sense them in the backyard very clearly. I can always tell when they're around. I said the same thing. And like, you know, if you call on the phone, I'll pick it up. I, I won't even hesitate. And so right when I said that out loud, the phone rang immediately. I dashed for it without even thinking, picked it up and got a dial tone. And I started to feel their energy dissipate a little bit, but I was nervous and decided to get the family dog uh, for company. She was asleep in my folks room. But the problem was when I got her out, um, she was like, oh, we're going for a walk. We're going outside. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, no, darn it. And so she really was yelping and running around in circles at the front door. Like, we got to go out. We got to go out. And I had read just enough at that time to know that I had seen somewhere that animals are very acute, you know, to this, you know, very, they can pick this type of phenomena up easily. And she didn't seem to be affected. So I'm like, okay, I'll let you out in the front yard and not the backyard. I'll just let you out in the front yard. You can do your business. So I let her out. And she was really good. She didn't need a leash at at any point in her life. She was a very obedient, wonderful dog. But she was just waiting there on the porch like, come on, come on, we're going for a walk. I'm like, darn it. (laughs) So so I follow her out. We go out as far as to the street. And then she's satisfied. She's doing her business. And I look back and over my house is this perfectly disc-shaped cloud hovering over the house. And there's no other clouds in the sky. And it seems self-luminescent, very cloudy. It was a cloud, but it was glowing from within. Like the moon was in it. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, but like there were no other clouds in the sky or anything. And it was a little breezy, but this thing wasn't moving. And then when I looked at it, it started to move away. Like um, as I was staring at it, it moved off into the distance, which would have been north pretty much for the most part. And it's kept going and going and going. And then as smaller and smaller and all of a sudden, vip, it like shot away at, at some ridiculous speed. And I was like, wow, you know, they seem to have respected me. They they came. They didn't come in the house unless I've got some missing time I don't know about. And they, uh, you know, they very politely took off into the sky with a display that, hey, we're here. But, you know, we're not we're not going to mess with you. And there were several things at that age, like you know, in my late teens, early 20s, that showed a kind of respect for the first time. And um, it, it really helped out a great deal. And uh, so the worst years for me were my teen years. Um, you know, they were they went from playmate to just grabbing me and doing things I didn't like. And then letting up a bit in my 20s. And now, you know, I just, and the experiences I've had since, you, it's always shocking, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it traumatic right. for me these days. Though I do know, you know, I, I since I had this happen my whole life, ever since I was 
you know, my very earliest memory in life. It, it's not as hard on me as it is for some people I know who are adults, whose very first experience happens when they're adult. Right. They maybe don't think about this uh, topic. They maybe openly doubt that we're being visited. And then suddenly something happens and it's real, very real in their lives. And there was nothing in all their years of life to prepare them for it. And so I really particularly feel for those people. And I know there are a lot of people out there who are very public speakers on the, on the topic, talking about the love and the light of it, uh, galactic brotherhood, whatnot. And um, it's not that way for everybody. I and, agree. Uh, you know, and it's, it, mm-hmm. when you read about, I don't know if you ever read about it, but I read about demonic experiences, right? And I think when you read from accounts from hundreds of years ago, I think they're misinterpreting that. I think it's the, I think it's the same, very same visitors, right? Um, Cause everything about those experiences, minus the, the um, uh, possession part, but everything else sounds pretty, pretty familiar. There's a lot of parallels. And back mm-hmm. to you with the mantis, when you're, when they bring you aboard, you know, it's, it's like the, again, the doctor's office, when lollipops don't prevail, I guess authority must come in. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you're in your teens, right? So in your teens, mm-hmm. that's the part of your life where you pretty much become who you're going to be the remainder of your life. In your te- that's when you be, that's when you start to identify who you are at that era, and in that timeline, when you're identifying who you are, that's probably the best time for them to say, "This is what we're here for. This is what we're doing." And you know what? Now, if you take it okay, like when you're a teen and it's okay with you, that's fine. All right, he's on board. We're good. But again, when lollipops don't prevail, the authority must come in. And you gave pushback, and they said, "This is you know, this is what we're doing. It's going to benefit you later, but for right now, blah blah blah." And so they had to imprint that on you that this is going to continue, and pushback is going to have no effect. And again, Bill, you haven't been killed. You're still here talking to me. You're not gone. So <laughs> the nice young, yeah. So the, the <laughs> and so that being said. Um, your acceptance is why they're being a little more cool now, right? They're like, all right, he's, he's part of the program. And here's the other part too, the phone ringing. You're not the first guy to say that, by the way. It's in your book, mm-hmm. but I've heard other people say this to me off podcast and I will privately to, to you know, so that I don't, you know, it's, they don't want their identity re- revealed. So you and I will discuss that post podcast. So you could I'll share their experience. Same thing. And what made me think about what it is, is, uh, I, I feel like they're they're uploading and downloading data. They came to you. Something's or they've already have their project in place. They need some data to find out how things have been, how things been with Bill over the last month. Let's go get an upload, mm-hmm. right? And so they got the data and they took off. They had nothing invasive because if you think about it, initially when you uh, if you're chipped or you're or marked or however it is they do it, because keep in mind what your brain is. People don't get this. Our brains are natural receptors. We have seen science talk about people being able to project information to and from mentally. Uh, we're, we're, we're Look, our CIA is working on that, you know? So that being said, they probably came and got an upload. All right, we need some info from, from Bill. Because uh, one of the other people had spoken to about the phone, and this one in particular was a landline. And the landline rang. And just like you, uh, she didn't get it. She just had nothing there. Like if she picked the phone up, then nothing there. And she said she felt like, was she, uh, how did she describe that? I, I don't have the notes in front of me, but 
something to the nature of she felt like a tingle in her body. And when I hear this, I'm like, they took information somehow or they downloaded information somehow. But somehow every person I hear that say this, there's a reaction. And you tell me when you, the same thing you have, it's a reaction. So it could be transfer of data, but whether it be going or coming. Make sense to you? Could be. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> it's, I, it's, it's as strange as it is to, to say it as for others to hear it. And I lived through it, and I, I still don't know for sure. Yeah. Every detail of probably what went on that I couldn't see that night. I'm a very analytical thinker, and I like – so when I first approach this podcast, when I hear about abduction and aliens and their technology – Sounds fantastic till you start reading, because I read a lot of science stuff. I watch a lot of doc- documentaries. I love inventions, and I love discovery. And I hear what we're doing as far as ideas, and then you apply it to... So whenever, whenever I watch a documentary about science and what they want to make, I always add 2,000 years to it. You know, well, what, would, what would this technology they're fun, following around? What's that in 2,000 years? It's exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> it's, in fact indistinguishable from what we're talking about. <laughs> you know? So mm-hmm. for people who are non-believers or naysayers, look at what we do today. Imagine if you add 2000 years to it, um, like would the people a long time ago, like, Oh, they, they talk to you telepathically. Oh, that's horseshit. What do you think Bluetooth is? And every mm-hmm. decade that goes by the Bluetooth piece gets small. It's an earbud. Now ne- mm-hmm. Elon Musk is coming out with um, um, uh, a Neuralink. Soon it'll be implanted in our head. Social media will be something we just pull up with our eyes. We won't have a device. Sounds very alien to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're talking about thousands of years on us. They've already gotten to this point. The things that we're constructing now is real to them. It's what they use. It's, it's practical everyday use. So you can't call someone crazy without examining what it is we do. Uh, most of our, in fact, everything, not most, everything we have is a luxury today. Internet, uh, GPS, Cell phones. This was military applications in the fifties. <laughs> you know, it didn't become mm-hmm. public till there was a market for it that they could. We our technology finally caught up with the idea that we could make it smaller and sell it to people. You know, that's so. At the end of the day, when people say things like abduction's crazy, think about the first time we we came across that frog from the uh, the Amazon because of what it can do. Uh, you know, go from male to female. It could heal from most diseases. We're still cutting these things open and trying to figure it out. We abduct how many frogs per year to study these things to figure out how they survive and evolve. We're cutting them open at crazy numbers. And at least our visitors could return us to our home. Those frogs don't go home. They die. (laughs) You know, so Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, uh, moving forward for you, clearly the experiences are still happening for you. Um, How do you cope now? Oh, you know, it, it's, you know, I, I've entered into an, a, a very challenging phase because um, so many of the things that have occurred to me, especially within the last couple of years, involve others who aren't ready to talk about it, may never be ready to talk about it. And I can't um, even give... Uh, uh, sort of a, a casual like oh this is a friend of mine and whatever it, it, it would be, it, it's difficult to to tell these accounts without absolutely revealing who I'm talking about and 
it's a shame, but I probably won't be able to talk about some of the more recent stuff uh, until time moves on, maybe about a good decade, then I'd feel comfortable sharing. I am completely open about stuff that happens to me. If there was, if I was taken tonight, you know, the next day I would be like, this is what happened to me. Well, consider yourself booked in advance. (laughs) (laughs) But, but other people, so much of the stuff now happens with other people and it's not up to me to share what's going on with them. So I, I kind of have to keep a lid on some of the more interesting stuff, at least for the time being. And, uh, you know, it actually took a long time for me to be able to talk about the stuff in my second book. And I eventually got that out. So I have no doubt that I'll be able to tell more about the recent stuff at, at some point. Just, just not right now. Yeah. I mean, and I, I strongly advise people to read your books. I'm going to read them now that I got them. Um, because it's, it's going to put people in a position of understanding, uh, like anything else. If you don't understand arithmetic, study it. If you don't understand biology, study it. If you don't understand this phenomena, study it. And you might find parallels, or, or it might just take a naysayer to read something, even if it's something is uh, the length of a sentence that stands out to them, the way I think. Well, we do that, and it doesn't sound impractical. Maybe we scale this up, right? And I keep saying this, and, and I keep repeating it. Whatever we do here for science and our current technology, scale it up, especially when you're talking. We now know because of uh, the James Webb Telescope and other studies that are out there, uh, the idea of there being a habitable planet somewhere is very likely. The idea of there being life outside of this planet, extremely likely. In fact, it's it's absolutely unacceptable to think there isn't life somewhere else at this point. It's, uh, you know... I think in the next decade, we're going to find a form of life here in our solar system. Maybe not be the impressive thing you see in a movie, but life none the same. And I was talking to someone recently about this. Uh, No matter how well we do with sterilizing the equipment we send to space, whether it be a probe or whether it be a rover, it's not perfect. There's going to be some form of bacteria, so much so that on Mars, when we study things, we have to make sure it's not our own bacteria that we're finding. We have protocols for that. And how do we know we didn't put one of some of our bacteria in some other atmosphere-filled moon, and millions of years from now, it evolves to become a, a more significant life form? We don't know that. We don't know if that, that could even be our origin. This might, They might have sent a probe here. That planet, planet's interesting. And millions of years later, we evolve. We don't know. But... Mm. To what you're saying and for you, uh, as far as coping your, your current stuff, I look forward to that. Uh, but for right now, in real time, you're safe to say you're okay with what happens and, you know, it's just part of my life now. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I remember um, 2002, nearly, well, it was, geez, it was 20 years ago. <laughs> um, Sandy Nichols, uh, another a fellow experiencer, we were on the uh, program abduction diaries together a, a single um hour long documentary that was on the sci-fi channel and he afterwards he said to me he goes do you ever wish this wasn't in your life that you know uh, and i and i said i wouldn't recognize myself um <laughs> you know this has been part of my life my whole life i i, I don't know who i would be if not without this phenomena in it so um, I have to be cool with it because I have to get on with life. Yeah. Now that you mention it, when you put it that way, it's been your whole life. You, you, yes. Yeah. That, that, that is absolutely part of who you are. Mm-hmm. So you can't imagine it without it. It's impossible. 
Right. It, 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 that's like, I mean, if you're, if you're 30 something and you had a life prior, sure. Uh, but yeah, no, it's been part of your life, your entire existence. Mm-hmm. So let me, and I ask. don't see that changing. No, no, no of course <laughs> not. Yeah. The study must go on. I tell people's all the time, like the threat of nukes for planet earth. Trust me. They're not going to stop it because they love us. The, the study must go on. We must prevent the, the destruction of this, these beings. Cause we are, we haven't got to what we want to scientifically. Um, that being said, I guess before we close out, I'll ask this. Do you feel any, do you, any benefits from it? Uh, yeah, you know, I've had some guardian angel moments in my life um, where things could have gone a lot worse than they did, and I feel that they've stepped in. Um, and so for that, I definitely see a, a benefit. I, I don't know that I've had any sort of direct healings of any illness that would have been um, uh, life-threatening or anything like that, nor have they um, shown me the lottery numbers, you know, that sure. sort of thing. But but there have been some um, very acute moments of danger um, that I, I've experienced where um, some sort of intervention happened certainly and and protected me yeah so that because you know people say you know did you show me a lot of numbers like when we're observing animals for national geographics we can't get involved it's a natural order of nature unless we hit them with the car then now we're obligated because we did that <laughs> you know so and that's what i think happened to travis walton i said it a lot this guy like me ran to it oh i gotta see this and he got injured and they're like shit now we gotta fix this guy you know <laughs> so <laughs> That's that's one occasion. That um, let me ask you one final question: How often do you get sick, like a flu or a cold? Extremely rare, yeah. very, very, very rare. Now, um, it's also true that um, I had some form of kidney disease when I was young. The details of it are vague, even to me, because I was just told that. But. Um, a result of that is ever since I was younger than five, I've had an exceptionally high white blood cell count. And that's what uh, people often say is uh, a big part of why I don't get sick. But then again, I don't know, maybe I have them to thank for, you know, such a thing, you know, or maybe it was just my biology, but I don't get sick. Uh, I, I very rarely get sick. When I got COVID uh, almost a year ago, I did get it really bad. Um, not not life threatening, not life threatening right. bad, but I was knocked out for a couple of weeks from that. It was rough. Yeah, I, I say this because um, when we study animals, and if we're hypothetically speaking, we're, we have a planet, we found it. Uh, it has an atmosphere. The potential to get virus down there that we we have no immunity to because we're it's, you know we're alien to that planet. We'd have to study that. So when you get sick, uh, example. Bill as a kid gets the cold. Well, we got to study this. Let's get Bill. Let's collect him. We got to say, what, what is this virus? How's it attacking him? How's he fighting it? It's for study, you know, research. A large number of people who are experiencers, when they do get sick, it's not very often. And when they do, it's pretty harsh until it's just gone. There's no like dwindling, getting better over the course of some days. It just seems to be a, a really sick. And then one day they're not. There's like, for mm-hmm. me, when I get sick, I have a flu. There's those four or five days where I'm still recovering. Uh, I'm finding a lot of number of people are just done. 
Yeah. So <laughs> it, it's got my curiosity. I'm going to sneak that question on a lot of uh, abduction cases because I'm curious. Um, mm-hmm. Did they study it? Did something take place there? Anyway, Bill, I had a great conversation with you uh, before we uh, before we close out uh, your books. Tell people about your books again and where they could find them again. And I'll put them in description as well for people to find. Sure. Um, I my two books autobiographical um, about my uh, abduction experiences. I also bring up a little bit of family stuff in there besides myself, but it's mostly about my personal stuff. Uh, Experiencer Raised in Two Worlds is my first book where I talk about growing up while I have this phenomenon going on in my life. And the second book, Experiencer 2, Two Worlds Collide, is roughly about a five-year period be in my early 20s where there were the, the beings seemed to show a very distinct interest in my personal life for reasons unknown. And if I can just throw in some gratuitous extra plug, sure. um, uh, I'm on the, the season of Unsolved Mysteries on an episode called Something in the Sky. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a straightforward UFO thing, not necessarily, not really an abduction thing, but um, please watch for that as well on Netflix. That's, uh, that's recorded already? Yep. All right. So that's, yep. yeah, so that's to be expected. October okay. 18th is the release date. And uh, yeah. Perfect. Bill. So for those of you listening, we're going to say good night, good evening, good day, whatever it is for you. And I'm going to talk to Bill in post. 